bow in prayer with me. Lord, that is our prayer this morning. We want to be consumed by you. We want you to set the priorities of our life. We want to live life according to your guidelines. So many detours are beckoning us every day, but we would seek that joy and fulfillment that comes through obedience. And we pray that as we study this old story with a modern truth, that your spirit will use it to take us on that next step of our journey of becoming all that you've called us to be. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Oswald Chambers, in my utmost for his highest, states that when Jesus calls us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then promises that all these other things will be added unto us, that he's making the most revolutionary statement human ears have ever heard. I agree. It's just that we've heard those words so many times they have become almost um, commonplace for us. You see, Jesus taught that making our relationship with God first, giving it first priority in our lives, leads to a distinctive lifestyle. It's a lifestyle different from the majority of how everybody lives out there. Uh, one way the New Testament puts it, it's like we're light in the midst of darkness. And the, the reward of this putting priority to the kingdom rather than living like the world out there, the reward is in beyond calculation in terms of joy and fulfillment. Many times this year, our pulpit here has challenged us to allow Jesus to make this difference in our lives. A difference in how we treat people, a difference in what values we follow and what goals we set, what dreams we dream, uh, what we want to be in terms of the end result of our labor. To live a distinctive lifestyle, to be different, is difficult. And that's the reason many of us um, kind of have a foot in both worlds. We're part of the world out there, and yet we're also part of the Christian world. And, and therefore, we're kind of caught in the middle. And I think what God's doing in our congregation right now is calling us to take that next step of getting out of the boat, walking on the water, keeping our eyes on Jesus, so that we can taste of that really fulfilled life that Jesus wants us to have. A life free from some of the pain and disruption that we talked about last week when we get our priorities fouled up and our calendars too full and chase the wrong things until we crash into a wall. To help us then on our journey in seeking what I'm going to call a balance in our priorities, I want us to study the Rechabites, these funny people with a funny name, but whose story offers us a challenge articulated in the sermon title, Dare to be Different. The Rechabites were a sect living in the uplands of Judah. They were metallurgists. They were established 300 years earlier by Jonadab. And by the way, you did a wonderful job on all those pronunciations, Frank. <laughs> Congratulations. This sect was a Puritan-type group, similar to the Nazarites. They were dedicated to obeying Jonadab, their father, by refusing to drink strong drink and to maintain their nomadic way of life. Now, in our story, the Rechabites are in Jerusalem only because they're seeking protection from the invading Babylonian troops. So they're in the city, out of their tents, and they're kind of in an unusual position. And they were noticed. And they were noticed because of their faithfulness to their commitments. They were sort of a different group of people living in the midst of that great city. So Jeremiah, admiring their dedication so much so, he decided to use them as a living illustration in a public sermon. 
So in front of the priests and the people, he has the Rechabites come up and he tempts them to drink wine. And it's interesting that even under the tremendous public pressure, when it appeared they had nothing to lose, this group would not compromise. They simply said, we will drink no wine, for Jonadab commanded us. I want us to study their story and see if we can glean some help for our journey in our Christian life. First, the Rechabites illustrate our need today as followers of Jesus to have the courage to hold to our commitments even though secular culture puts increasing pressure upon us to adopt different values. Here's a fact. We Christians cannot look for our convictions in the polls of what everyone else is doing and thinking. America is fast becoming a nation that finds what it believes and does and thinks by what everybody else is doing and thinking. We're called to follow the values of Jesus. The day we became a Christian, we said, Jesus, you're our authority. Your guidelines for life will become my guidelines for life, no matter what the world around me is saying. The lesson from the Rechabites is that a few believers who hold to their commitments can make a difference. I found this editorial entitled Think It Over. I can't tell you where it's from because it was just in my file. Aren't we glad somebody has always believed in the significance of one? Like back in 1645, when one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. 1776, when one vote gave America the English language instead of German. 1845, when one vote brought the state of Texas into the Union. And 1875, when one vote changed France from a monarchy to a republic. And did you know that in 1923, one vote gave Adolf Hitler control of the Nazi party? Ah, the power of one, never underestimated. That's the point. We can make a difference. And you know, our church family is on a journey now where corporately we're going to make a difference in the area where we serve God here. One member of our church has taught in the inner city of San Francisco for years. And she says one of her greatest rewards happens when a young adult comes back to her saying, you'll never know the difference you made in my life when I was in your class. The power of one. Remember Esther? She was a captured Jewess who became part of a king's, Persian king's harem. And in order to save her Jewish people from genocide, she risked her life by going into the king believing. And this was a, a great statement on her part. God has placed me here at this particular time to make a difference. I will trust God. I'll follow my convictions. And if I perish, I perish. What a woman. Perhaps Edward Hale caught her spirit when he wrote, I am only one, but still I'm one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. That's a good spirit for a Christian in today's world. You are important. If you're a disciple of Jesus, God has you where you are, who you are, with the gifts you have to make a difference. Today, it's so important that we, like the Rechabites then, take our cues for behavior from God's laws alone and not from cultural pressures that increasingly are anti-God in every way. The Rechabites remind us, truth, commitment, faithfulness to Jesus are not statistical. Truth is not a fad. It doesn't change. The crowds are usually wrong. Everybody's doing it is not the way to set the moral course of our lives, even though that is fast becoming our culture's way of doing things. 
This last week we had a lesson from Saratoga High School. If you noticed, the group of these uh, very bright students took a national exam. They cheated and they were caught. And one young man said, well, everybody was doing it. You can't get into the school of your choice unless we join the crowd. This time the crowd was wrong and they were all nailed for it. Remember how a few disciples in the early church, as you read the book of Acts, which we'll study next year, totally infiltrated the Roman Empire. It's hard for us to grasp that in 34 years, that small group of Christians won thousands to the faith. They were everywhere. They were into Caesar's household. How did they do it? By doing God's kingdom's business first. By loving and caring for one person at a time. By living a distinctive lifestyle in the midst of a crooked culture. By spreading the love of Jesus. Modeling a lifestyle of caring and listening. They were a fragrant aroma, says the scriptures, in a joyless, self-centered, violent environment. One of my favorite parts of history is to study the Roman Empire, and I am convinced we have such a parallel and an opportunity because we're so like them today. And the distinction between a Christian and a non-Christian is getting so clear. And of course it's scary to live by our convictions. It's scary to be different, to put relationships and family and friends and caring for people above the mad scramble for things that culture would it beckoned us to do. But you know, every time we adopt the priorities of Jesus, life gets better. Kent Reed, our percussionist, gave me permission to share his story, but he told me how he and his, and his wife set one day a week aside as a family day, just for themselves and their children. And in the profession he's in, it costs money. Musicians can work seven days, seven nights a week, and when you turn down a gig or whatever they call them in those days, or still, um, they, they sacrificed a possible chance to work. But you know, they've done this now for a long time. And he says, rather than feeling the cost is too high, they're tempted to take more time for each other because the payoff in joy and fulfillment is so attractive. And you know, that's just how it is. When we try it God's way, when we do something that looks weird by our culture's sake, when we put priorities of relationships first, we start finding a life in the middle of making a living. Let me put this in bold type. Putting the priorities of Jesus first does not deprive us of anything except pain. We're not talking about picking up our cross and following Jesus today. This is an invitation to joy and to life that we have been deluded into not really believing. Making the cultivation of relationships a first priority rather than getting lost in overloaded calendars and the things of this world that's a, just a good decision, and it always brings joy and freedom. That's what we're trying to learn in this uh, theme of the margin that we talked about last week, or what we mean by seeking first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has to do with obeying God and getting involved in relationships. For example, revisiting our theme from last week. And I, I do appreciate it when you people send me things, and this member gave me an article from the San Jose Mercury commenting on a book, Escape to Work, and the article was commenting and saying many things, but this, this I quote, her, the author, research, may nevertheless jolt workers here in Silicon Valley who have given themselves over willingly to the workaholic lifestyle that has been enshrined in many corporate cultures. Notice the language here, enshrined. A workaholic lifestyle, it's almost like an idolatry 
a, a worship experience where we are giving ourselves to work like we should give ourselves to God and to people. And of course things are out of phase, and of course we have pain. Forbes magazine, and I was intrigued by this article last month, entitled, Does Money Buy Happiness? quotes billionaire Warren Buffett and other social scientists stating, astonishing, we live in a world where everybody wants more money. What the data suggests is that a raise in money is like a martini. It induces optimism and it elevates the spirit, but only temporarily. Buffett says his impression is that nobody is really transformed by getting to be a billionaire. And that's from Forbes that's devoted to money. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is not against hard work. He's not against making money. Jesus is not against Silicon Valley and the tremendous uh, uh, gift that we're giving the world through our technology. What Jesus is saying, if you're my follower, I invite you to have balance in your priorities. Don't worship money. Don't worship work. I want you to be able to work, says Jesus, and I still want you to have a fulfilled life. That's what we're talking about. If enough of us seek the power of the Holy Spirit in bringing a balance between our pursuit of making a living and cultivating relationships, making a life, then our model will impact those who are caught up in this addiction of workaholism and consumerism. That's what we're talking about. You see, you can win in Silicon Valley in terms of achieving wealth and power, but if you lose in love, you've made a bad deal. That's what Jesus is trying to wake us up to in, in this truth about seeking first the kingdom. But you know, it's tough. I've listened to you during last week in response to the sermon. It's tough to change lifestyle. It's tough to change priorities. So how do we find the power to be Rechabites? to put God's priorities first, to dare some changes. The Rechabites were committed to the authority of their father. And I think we need to ask in this ongoing journey, to what are we really committed? What are the non-negotiable boundaries in our personal lives? And you know how you can find the answer? Look at where you're putting your energy and your time. Who gets you? That'll tell you where your priorities are. Pure and simple. The Bible says our primary mandate in life is to love as we've been loved. The core value of this church, everything we're trying to make happen in your life through the help of the Holy Spirit, is our desire to nourish all of us toward becoming lovers of people. Persons who find a balance between making a living and having a life. And I found a, a scripture that I think capsulizes this whole message that would tell you, if you come here long enough, this is what we hope the Lord will do in your life. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We know we've passed from death to life because we love the brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions in truth. And this is his command to believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. What a text. Let's begin at the, B, at the end where it says, 
We find the power to change lifestyle and to put people ahead of things by meeting Jesus and allowing ourselves to get converted, to become a Christian. And then we find the power to view things as a means to serve people rather than worship them as, a me as an end. And that frees us from addiction. Restoring balance to our calendars, making time for relationships, time to care. It's costly, it's a road traveled only by a few, and at times we're going to have to walk alone, and all of us will have to endure days when doing God's kingdom business does not seem to offer any payoff. It doesn't seem like a good deal. But I want to speak with the authority of Jesus in assuring every one of us that every time we put God's priorities first, restore balance to our daily schedules, we'll become a little more alive and more free, and we'll have less pain of overload that we've talked about so much. I want to close with this quote from C.S. Lewis from The Weight of Glory that maybe says it all. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We're told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire, it would seem. It would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. And this is where he really gets good. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. It's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We're far too easily pleased. I think, you know, that's us in the peninsula. Far too easily pleased with a lifestyle that's limited to achieving and winning and consuming and gathering wealth. That's not enough. That's not a big enough dream. This week, let's dare to ask ourselves, are our hopes and dreams so limited that in retrospect, our priorities will seem like we played with mud pies? when compared with the joy and fulfillment and significance that could have been ours if we had simply listened to Jesus and obeyed his mandate to put God's kingdom business first. The Rechabites give us a challenge. Dare to be different. So how do you end a sermon like this? I, I can only challenge us. This is going to be a journey, and I would invite you to reflect on the subject of lifestyle change again this week. Reflect on what Oswald Chambers calls the astonishing priorities of Jesus about making time for people, for having a life rather than just making a living. Talk with close friends about this, your covenant group. Do some introspection of what your goals really are. Read the margin book. If you haven't heard about it, it's a book we recommended last week. Call the church, we'll order you one. Remember, lifestyle changes take time. Rearranging priorities is scary, it's painful, but the rewards will be that in the years ahead you'll have a wealth of family and friends and you'll have time to live, to enjoy, and to grow in your spiritual life. Rather than at the end of your life realizing you've climbed a ladder all your life and you find that it's leaning against the wrong building that you've got all your goals, but they're things and they're wealth and you're empty in money. I mean, you're empty in relationships. You have wealth, but you don't have friends. And you know, one definition of hell, I think is the best one I ever heard. It's total loneliness, total isolation. 
And that's the weeping and gnashing of teeth that Jesus warns us about and says, this is, if you'll just chase my priorities of the kingdom, you can avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth of having lived with the wrong goals and the wrong priorities. Jesus wants us to do more than merely survive with exhaustion and pain as daily companions in life and with increasing regrets as the years pass. He wants us to know his joy and his peace. And as usual, the choice is up to us. The Rechabites have a lesson. Dare to be different. I hope this week we can reflect on what that might mean for our lives individually. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we're so happy that Christianity is not a boring, static religion, but it's a journey of holding on to your hand and always becoming more like Jesus. And as we reflect on this subject of our priorities that have to be calculated and recalculated all the time, oh God, give us strength, give us guidance to live as you would have us live so we can find the joy and freedom you want us as your disciples to enjoy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.